Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey, we wanna welcome everybody that is joining us from each location, to all of our friends over at TCI. Happy Father's Day to you. To all of our friends and family at Boardman, happy Father's Day to you as well. And uh, I'm so excited and honored that I get to share the message today uh, on Father's Day. And uh, before we go any further, I would be remiss if I didn't give a special shout out to my dad. I wanna say happy Father's Day to him. And uh, dad, I love you, and you've modeled everything that it looks like to be a man, and I appreciate that. And I'm gonna say it in every service, because I want to honor you in front of everybody. But can we one more time give it up for Pastor Joe? And the longer I have kids, uh, the more I realize how amazing of a dad he was and how hard dadding really is because it is not a cakewalk. And uh, my son just turned 10 years old this week and I cannot believe it. And then I have a beautiful daughter who's about to turn eight. And so I feel like I'm getting old fast. But one thing I can tell you is this. I will, I will never forget the moment that for the very first time I held Joey. Like, I'll never forget that. You never forget any of your kids, but the first one, there's something about it because there's this cold sweat, this chill that sweeps over your body and you start to realize, like, I am responsible for all seven pounds of this human being for the rest of his life. And the first night's kind of easy, let's be honest. Like, if the baby cries too much or if you're tired, you can press a button and they come and they take your child away. Like, they, they will feed the child for you. They will make sure you get a good night's sleep. They'll do that about two nights in a row. And then there is the rude awakening when they kick you literally to the curb. I come pull up. I try to put that awkward car seat in the car. And then we drive home and we are responsible for this this child, this human, to make sure that they do everything God's called them and made them to do. And I'll never forget it. And being a dad is so rewarding, but it can be, it can be difficult too, right? And uh, I, I wanna tell you this at, at the onset of this message. Ladies, we love you. We're so, so happy that you're a part of the BC family. I'm so thankful for an incredible mom and mother-in-law, for an incredible wife. There's just something about a mom's touch. It's so, so valuable. But today, we are gonna be talking primarily to men. And, and more than that, beyond that, we're gonna talk specifically to dads. And so if you're a guy here today and you're like, Joe, I'm not a dad, uh, immediately I feel like I'm disqualified. Let me just tell you something. You're probably on your way to dadhood at some point, right? But if you're not, I believe that this is gonna be a message that speaks to you even as a man. And uh, there's a great book. If you've, never, if you've never read this before, I would highly recommend it. It's called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And it's really powerful because one of the things that you can see in our culture, especially when it comes to Christianity, is that men is just a demographic that we're not reaching. And I don't think it's because we're, I don't know, I don't think it's because we're over-challenging them. I think it's because we're under-challenging them. And I think there's something about answering questions that men are asking. And so today, I hope, not through uh, my perfection, not because I have everything figured out, probably way more through my mistakes in the areas that I don't have quite figured out, I hope to bring you some encouragement today and to challenge you. And I wanna take a look at what it looks like to be a man. And uh, being a dad, it really can be the most rewarding thing, but it, it can be difficult at times. It can even be kind of dangerous. I'll tell you a quick story. When my kids were a lot younger, they had this obsession at Giant Eagle with the race car shopping carts. I don't know if any parents are familiar with these, 
but uh, it doesn't really help you put any groceries in the cart. There's not a whole lot of space for that, but it sure helps you occupy their time while you get the groceries. And any parents of young kids said amen. It's important. And so there were these carts, and my kids loved them, and they had two steering wheels, and it just like would occupy endless time. And so we were on our way to Giant Eagle this one day, and they only had a couple at the store that we would go to. And so I would have to give them the pep talk. And I'd be like, Joey, Riley, you might have a cart waiting for you and you might not, so just be ready that we might have to have a normal shopping cart. And they would say, okay, dad. And what that really meant is we're gonna lose our minds anyways, but thanks for trying <laughs> the dad life. And so we got there and we saw one, but it was buried in the back of a stall in the parking lot and there were like 10 other normal carts in front of it. So we said, Joey and Riley, we're gonna go check inside because there's probably one there. So we got all the way inside and of course there wasn't one there. And so being a good husband, my wife told me, go out to the, to the parking lot and get it. And I said, yes, ma'am. And so I get all the way out there, get all the way out there. And it took me like 16 minutes to take all the normal carts out. Just look ridiculous. I finally get this double wide, double long cart out. And as soon as I get it and I'm getting ready to go back into the grocery store, I hear someone call my name or just try to get my attention from behind me. And they say, young man. And I turn around and it's an elderly woman. And she says, can you please help me? I need your help with something. I said, sure, what do you need? And she said, can you help me get my scooter back into the grocery store? It looks like you're heading that way. And I said, absolutely, no problem. And so I thought, being a man, that I could do it all in one trip. You know, Because if you're a man, you, can I get an amen on this? You never take two trips with grocery bags, right? Like if, you, if you've got 60 grocery bags, you will put 10 on each finger, you'll put them on your thumb, you'll put them in your mouth, you will dislocate your pinky before you have to take two trips because that's what men do. And so I was committed, those were my core convictions, so I said, I'm gonna take both of them in at the same time. And I thought I could just, I could have one hand on the, the race car and one hand on the scooter, but the scooter wouldn't engage unless I sat on it. So I'm a 29-year-old man and I decide, I guess I'm riding a scooter today. And so I get on this scooter and I gun it, which means I go two miles per hour. And there are, there are cars honking at me, people are yelling at me, I'm like, get a life, move along, you know. And I get to the crosswalk and I have this decision to make. I see this car coming from the side, from my periphery, and I know they see me, so I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna floor it. So I floor it, which means I go three miles per hour instead of two, and I get about a fourth of the way through the crosswalk. I'm the pedestrian, right? Like, I have the right of way, and so I'm like, I'm sure they're gonna stop. They're gonna stop. And I see him getting close, and I'm like, they're gonna stop, I think, and then, and then they get really close, and I start going through all these scenarios in my mind. I'm like, I'm gonna need this scooter the rest of my life. I, I start figuring out an evacuation plan. I'm gonna have to dive through the air in slow motion. I gotta do something, and right at the tail end, when I thought it was all over, they came screeching to a stop, and they didn't apologize. No, they didn't apologize. They threw their hands up, and they literally said, come on, bro, and I turned to them. I'm like, I'm trying to help an elderly woman here, you know, and, and so then I had the awkward 15 seconds where I had to scoot through the rest of the crosswalk to get into the building. I finally got to the building and my wife didn't see any of it. And I was like fuming. And I was like, did you, did you see how I almost just died for your car? I was like, take your stupid car kids. And you know, we went through the grocery store that day. But being a dad can be difficult. It can sometimes be dangerous. It can be a lot of things, but it is for sure rewarding. And I wanna take a look this morning at what it looks like to be a man and I wanna show you through the account of the very first man, consequently the very first dad on record in history, his name was Adam. Let's take a look at the moment that God makes man. Can you read with me? This is Genesis chapter one, verse 26. 
Then God spoke. Listen to what he says. Let us make human beings, this is so cool, in our image. Now time out. God could have made us in the image of a whole lot of things. He could have made us in the image of a whole lot of people, but he chose, he thought so highly of you and of me that he made us in his image. That's remarkable. And it shows you how much of a dad God is because any dad worth his salt, he looks at his kids and he sees his features in them and his image in them and he says, that's my son, that's my daughter, I'm proud of them and we can't help but show them off to people. Why, because we see our image in them. So listen to what he says next. He says, let us make human beings in our image and just real quick, this is the Trinity speaking, this is God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and then it says, making them reflecting our nature. This is incredible because here's what it's showing you. You were made to connect and reflect the image of God. You were made to have a relationship with God as your dad. And I want you to think about, dads, how much you love your kids and how much you care about connecting with them. This is how much times a million God cares about connecting with you. And when we connect with God, then we're fully able to reflect his nature. Now listen to what happens next. In a moment, man was made fully alive. And look how he's made. Genesis 2, 7. So God formed man out of the dirt of the ground and he blew into his nostrils the breath of life. Don't skip by that. I think it's so intentional that God, who could have made us out of anything, chose to make us out of dirt. And all the ladies said amen, right? Yeah, he chose to make man out of dirt. He chose the lowest thing, the thing that most people wouldn't esteem as very great. And he said, hey, I can take that low, messy, dirty thing and I can actually reshape it and breathe new life into it and make it into my image. And so if you came here as a dad at any of our locations and you said, Joe, I don't think you know what my dirt is. I don't think you know where I come from. You don't know my failures. You don't know my mistakes. You don't know my past. Can I just tell you something? God did this for a reason. He wanted you to see that he specializes in taking the dirt and reshaping it and breathing new life into it. Now listen to what happens next. This is amazing. In that moment, the man came alive, a living soul. Can I just tell you that's my prayer for every single person that's here today? That you would just come alive to God's purpose, that you would be a person that is fully alive to what he created you and called you to do. It's actually the title of my message today, Man Alive. Because I think some of us as dads, we're kind of like man alive. Like, I don't know if I can do this whole dad thing. I don't know if I have what it takes. And can I just tell you something? No, you can. And the way you're gonna do it is when you come fully alive in who you are and who God made you to be. Now, a man is never more alive than when he discovers a purpose. So I don't think it's a coincidence that right after God makes man, God gives man a purpose for his existence. Look at what happens next, Genesis 1:28. So God blessed them, and listen to what he speaks over them. This is Adam and Eve now. He says, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge. And this is interesting, he says, be responsible. What are we responsible for? We're responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And this is beautiful because here's what God's doing. He's drawing a connection between our relationship with him and our relationship with everything else in this world. Dads, 
Men, did you know that when your relationship with God is thriving, then your relationship with your wife is gonna thrive. When your relationship with God is in a good place, then your relationship with your kids is gonna be in a good place. When we fully connect and reflect the image of God on the earth, then the earth does well. It's so when we look around at the problems in the earth, I can directly correlate it with men who are not fully alive to the purpose and calling of God. And you might be thinking like, Joe, that sounds like a little bit over the top. Like, I don't know that I'm that important and that strategic in God's overall plan. And can I just beg to differ with you this morning? Like, let me prove it to you. You know, there's this huge problem, especially in America, it's called fatherlessness. Over 24 million kids in America don't have a dad in their life. That's over a third, which is pretty crazy. Did you know that 85% of kids with behavioral disorders don't have a dad? You're twice as likely to be incarcerated if you come from a fatherless home. This is a big deal. And guess what? Our country's trying to solve it in the only way they know how. They're trying to throw money at it. So in our annual budget, guess how much we spend to try to fix this problem? 99.8 billion, with a B, dollars every year to try to fix this problem called fatherlessness. It's a big deal. Dad, you make a difference. And when you're not around and when you're not fully alive, everything that you touch isn't gonna thrive the way it could. And so today, I just wanna talk to you about what would it look like if you were a man alive? How would your life look if you fully connected with God, your creator, your father, and reflected his image on the earth? And I wanna show you three components of a man alive, and I wanna take a look at this man from the Bible. His name was David, and we're gonna take a look at three different moments in his life. And just in case you didn't think I was hearing from the Holy Spirit, you can't spell David without dad. So how do you like that? All right. So here's the first one. A man alive is convicted. A man alive is convicted. I love what Acts 13, 22 says. This is God actually speaking about David. And I don't know about you, but I pray that this is what God would one day say about me. He says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. So what's a real man look like, a man that's fully alive? It's a man after God's own heart. In other words, his heartbeat is synced up with God's heartbeat. Man, if we wanna do what God's called us to do, we ought to get excited about the things that God gets excited about. We ought to be passionate about the things that God is passionate about. And the other side of it is the things that break God's heart, they should break our heart too. The injustice in the world that we might even have the ability to stop and prevent, those things ought to matter to us. It's syncing up with the heartbeat of God. And I love what it says next. He will do whatever I want him to do. You wanna talk about men that make a difference? It's just this simple decision. God, whatever it is you want from me, I'll do it. I'm driven by the conviction of the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of me. I'm a man who is convicted. You know, there's another father that's mentioned in the Bible and he's called the father of lies. His name is Satan. And he has an agenda and a plan for you as a man also. As a matter of fact, he knows something so important. He knows that if a dad knows God, if a dad has a relationship and a connection to God, the kids most likely will too. If a dad has convictions to follow God, the kids will share that conviction. So here's Satan's number one mission. I wanna compromise those convictions in the dad. Because if I can poison the dad's perspective, 
then I'm gonna poison the kid's perspective too. If I can take the dad out, I can take the next generation out. And he's always been out and always been after fathers. And he's the father of lies and he does it in so many different ways. Let me, let me give you one. Let me just give you an example. We're talking about convictions and in America, we have so many different things that mark our passage from boyhood into manhood, right? Let's talk for a second about some places around the world. Like this is one that always gets me. There's this Amazonian tribe and when they're, when they're young men turn 10 years old, this is when they consider them eligible to become a man. And so what, the way they prove that they are a man, they take bullet ants, which have the most painful sting in all of the world, they put them in this glove and they have these little poor 10 year old boys stick their hands in the glove and if they don't flinch for 10 minutes as these bullet ants bite them over and over again, then they're declared a man. And that can sound kind of barbaric and cruel and brutal, and it is. It can even sound silly, right? But there are equally silly things in our culture that I think we're so used to that we don't see them for what they are. Like, I'll give you a great example, and I'm not picking on you dads today because you're in church, so kudos to you on Father's Day when you could be doing a whole lot of other things. But there's kind of this unspoken rule in the church, because like in the church across America, it's about 60% represented with women, Go ladies, but that it leaves 40% men. And so typically here's what happens in the average American household. They, they watch their dads and they come casually to church, maybe Christmas, Easter, just you know a day here or there, when things aren't coming up, when the game's not on, when there's not sporting events, when other stuff isn't distracting from them. And there's kind of this unspoken rule that as the sons get old enough, even though their mom is coming faithfully, they watch their dad and they start to say, man, if dad gets to stay home, I'm staying home too. You know what's crazy? As amazing as moms are, and I'm, I'm so thankful for my mom and I'm so thankful for my wife and how they model what it looks like to be a woman of God. Women are great at nurturing, right? The Bible says train your child up in the nurture and the admonition of God. That's an amazing thing. But did you know, that, let me throw a crazy statistic at you. If a mom brings her kids to church consistently, when they come of age, you know how many of them will continue to go to church? It's one in 50. But if a dad models manhood, models convictions in front of his kids, the number jumps to one in three. There's just something about it. And here's what I've been praying about for Believer's Church, that there would just be a resurgence of men that say, as for me in my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. I want that. Yeah, we could give it up. One claps, everybody claps. Are you clapping in Boardman and TCI? Man, I want that so badly. And it's not just so we could check the church box off the chart. It's because there's life in the house of God. It's because everything that we need is here. And it's not because of the building. It's because of the people. You know, I think most of us are familiar with flu shots, and here's what a flu shot does. I'm boiling it way down. So if you're a doctor, give me a break, okay? No judging me here. We're exposing ourselves to just a small amount of the virus so that what? So we can build an immunity to the virus. Can I just tell you something? A little bit of God is dangerous. And in America, we expose our kids to just a little bit of God. Hey, yeah, you don't have to like live it Monday through Saturday, but when you come on Sunday, we're gonna sing a few songs and you should live like a good life and be a good kid. I don't even need you to be a godly kid or a holy kid, just be a good kid. Don't get into too much trouble. Don't be a fanatic about it. Don't be a Jesus freak, don't stand up. 
and we don't mean to do this, but we communicate that by the way that we live our life. And you know what happens? A little bit of God is dangerous because I watch this happen over and over again in families that actually really do care about God. They give their kids a little bit of God, and guess what? They build an immunity to the things of God. And so when they come to church, it doesn't affect them. When they read the Bible, it doesn't really make a difference in their life. And I've been a youth pastor. I talk to our youth pastors and our kids' pastors all the time, and here's what parents do, and they're well-meaning. They bring their 16-year-old son who hasn't been to church a day in his life, has never seen conviction modeled in front of him, and they say, here, fix him. And I believe in miracles. I wanna say that, and I've watched God do some miracles, but how much better would it have been if the men from the very start just said, no, I'm gonna model what it looks like to be a man alive in front of my kids. Dads, your kids will never adopt convictions that you don't first have yourself. And convictions don't come from what we say, convictions come from what we do. When we get into God's house, God gets into our house. And so I'm just gonna challenge you because I think what we need is a resurgence of some men that say, no, better is one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand anywhere else. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And so it's never too late to start. And can I just, let, let me just make you feel a lot better in this moment if you're like, man, that hasn't been my story. Guess what? It's never too late to start. And God is not looking for perfection. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's just looking for you to be present. I'll never forget the Pinewood Derby. We had the Royal Rangers growing up here at, uh, at our church, and uh, I was so excited. The first year I did the Pinewood Derby, it was so fun. And I'll never forget those times with my dad. He was present all the time. And so we would walk down the hallway here. I, we had a school here at the time, and, and there was a shop, and we would go to the shop, and my dad wasn't the handiest guy in the world, but he tried his very best. He was actually pretty good at making the car look really cool. And so I spent all kinds of time, weeks and weeks leading up to this Pinewood Derby, and I was convinced I was gonna win first place. I was gonna take home the, the gold. And so we get to the big night, and all my other friends are there, and they've got these incredible cars. And uh, they put my, my amazing Pinewood Derby car at the top of the ramp, and they pulled down the lever, and my car wouldn't move, like not even a little bit. Wouldn't move. And uh, we still don't know what happened to that car or why it didn't work. Still love you, Dad. Still love you. That was the last year I asked my dad to help me with my car. The next year I asked my grandpa, and I think I won second place. <laughs> and I'm no better, trust me. But, um, but can I tell you something? When I remember back on those times in my life, I really don't care what place I got. I really don't care if my car could move or not. Uh, what I care about and what I remember is that my dad was there. He was present. And guess what? When you are present and you have convictions from the Holy Spirit and you live a life following Jesus, a lot of times you really don't have to say anything. It just rubs off on them. And I'm so thankful I didn't walk in on my dad doing dumb stuff. I walked in on my dad worshiping God. I walked in on my dad reading the Bible. I saw him have character where it counts. And guess what? It rubbed off on me. My dad really can't sing a whole lot. I think he can sing better than he gives himself credit for, but he's not a worship leader. But everywhere you go, like I, I work a couple offices down from him and I can hear him singing in the hallway. He's always worshiping God. And guess what? I'm a worshiper because my dad is a worshiper. And let me tell you something. My son and my daughter will be worshipers because they watch it modeled through their parents. And so it's never too late to start. The first thing a man alive is, is convicted Let's take a look at the second one. The man alive is committed. There's this, this lesser known chapter in David's life 
And it's kind of an in-between moment for him. It's tough. He's been anointed the king of Israel, but he's in the waiting period. And so there's this scene that happens at the cave of En Gedi. Let me just catch you up to speed. Remember, David kills Goliath, and as a prize for killing Goliath, he was actually awarded King Saul's uh, daughter. And so he actually becomes the son-in-law of King Saul. King Saul is his father-in-law. You follow me? And so King Saul stops listening to God's voice. He stops following God. He stops living by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So he actually opens himself up to all kinds of things. And one of those things is that he begins to be tormented and he's depressed and he would have these spirits come on him. And it was an awful thing. And so he heard that David was a harpist and he was a worship leader. And he said, would you come and play for me? And so for a while, when David would come, he would play. God's presence would come and the spirit would leave and things would clear up and get better. But Saul started to get jealous of David. I don't know if, you, if you've ever heard this, but David had a number one hit written about him. He was killing giants left and right. It was number one on the Jerusalem Billboard 100. Here's the words. It must have been a hip-hop song because it was super braggadocious. Saul has slain his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. Can you imagine as Saul, who was the number one guy, hearing that song circulating? I mean, like that had to be tough on his pride. And so this one day, he gets fed up with David. David's playing the harp, and he tries to throw a spear through David. And so David's like, peace out. I ain't trying to get killed when I lead worship. Find yourself another worship leader. And he starts running. And this is where he finds himself, in the cave of En Gedi. Can I tell you something? Your cave and your calling are so connected. Pastor Joe did a great series on this called Caves, and he drills a little bit deeper into this idea and maybe looks at it from a different angle but this is so important because what does the cave represent? The cave represents our commitment and our character when nobody else can see. What God is asking is, will you serve me when no one else can see you? And so he's confronted with this moment, and this is how you know the Bible is real, because they tell you all the details. David's already kind of hanging out in this cave, and then Saul comes in alone to relieve himself. He's going to the bathroom, and so, he sits down and he's playing Candy Crush or whatever he did. I, I, don't, I don't know why I said that, but they, don't judge me. You do it too. But he's in there and David has this amazing moment where he, he could very easily feel like God led him here. I've been, I've been honoring Saul. I haven't even spoken a word against him and he's trying to kill me. Well, David's men are with him and they say, God delivered him into your hands. You should take him out. Just one swipe of the sword and this problem could be done and you could be king. And David had so much character. He was so committed to following God, even in the cave, even when no one could see that he said, I will not touch God's anointed. I'm not gonna do it. And so here's what he did. He got this idea and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he waited till Saul could get outside and he said, Saul, I was in the cave. I was in the cave. Why'd you do that in the cave, Saul? Like, why did I see that? But then he said, I was there and I chose not to harm you. I want you to know you're my king. And Saul broke down and he repented to David and he said, David, you're the rightful king. And not too long after that, Saul actually loses his life in a battle and David is made king. You know what really stood out to me is that David, after all of it happened, felt bad that he even cut a corner of Saul's robe. I think what God's trying to say is, hey, if you're gonna be a man fully alive, don't cut corners in the cave. 
Be a man of character when nobody's looking. Let's talk for a second about what it would be to cut a corner in the cave when nobody's looking. I mean, it could be as simple as having a boss that might be a horrible boss. I don't know if your boss has tried to kill you, so you probably don't have it as bad as David, but I'm sure we have some stories, right? And it is so easy when people aren't honorable to stop honoring them. But there's something about having character and commitment in the cave that says, even if you're not honorable, I'm not honoring your perfection, I'm honoring your position. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna slander you with my words. I'm gonna let my character shine in this moment. Maybe for some of us, cutting corners in the cave looks like our taxes and not fully declaring our income. And somehow it's birthed in this idea that God's not enough and God won't provide for me, so I've gotta get every little bit I can. And so we lose our character in these moments. Listen, your cave and your calling are connected. We don't wanna, we don't wanna cave in the cave. We wanna be committed to God and doing what he's called us to do in the cave. Listen to what happens. I want you to see the payoff. There is a payoff when we have character in the cave. Listen to this, it's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. In other words, he sees everything. But listen to what he does. To strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. A man alive is committed. Here's the final one. A man alive is connected. A man alive is connected. I would argue this is the most important thing if you're gonna be a man that fully lives out the purpose that God has called you to. You're connected. So much so that right after God creates Adam, you know what the first observation he makes about him is? It's not good for man to be alone. I don't know what Adam did to give God that impression, but something happened and God said, I need to make you a wife. You need somebody around to help you, to keep you accountable, to keep you connected. I like to say it this way, the more alone you are, the less alive you are. Let me prove it to you. This has actually been proven through research. This is interesting. Did you know, this is a study done by California Mental Health Institute. When you're alone, just meaning you don't have meaningful relationships built into your life, you don't have people that you're connected to. When you're alone, you're two to three times more likely to die in early death. Literally, the more alone you are, the less alive you are. How about this one? you're four times more likely to experience burnout. Anybody ever experienced burnout before? Might have a connection to your connections. How about this one? Five times more likely to suffer from clinical depression. And this is the one that got me. You're 10 times more likely to be hospitalized for a mental disorder. The more alone you are, the less alive you are. And this is where David finds himself. And he's actually at a high point in his calling as a king. He's been winning battles left and right. Things are going really well. None of the armies that they're facing have really been any competition. He's actually been serving God and doing really big things for God, building the kingdom of Israel. But this is usually when the enemy strikes. It's when we start to isolate ourselves. Let's pick up and read what happens next. This is 2 Samuel 11:1. 1. In the spring of the year, this is important, when kings normally go out to war, in other words, he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's isolating himself. David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. Dads, don't miss this. When we refuse to fight the battles that God called and created us to fight, other men have to step up and fight them for us. And I don't know about you, but I hope it would never be said of me that there were other men that had to do what God called and made me to do. 
But it all goes back to isolation, living a life where you're disconnected from people that you need to have around you. And when you lose your purpose, you run into problems and watch what happens. They destroyed the Ammonite army. They laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And I don't know, just relating to David as a human being, maybe he felt like he deserved it. Maybe he thought, God, I work really hard. I'm gonna play hard. I'm just gonna stay home. I just need to rest. Who knows what he was thinking, but that's possible. So let's read along. 2 Samuel eleven two. Late one afternoon, this is funny, after his midday rest, Dave's taking naps in the middle of the day now. There's such a thing as, as righteous rest, right? This is like a Sabbath. Everybody needs a Sabbath. But then there's like rebellious rest. It's like when I have a purpose and I'm shirking my responsibilities and I'm not doing what I'm made to do, I would argue this might be the case in this story. David got out of bed after his nap and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And you wanna guess what her name was? Bathsheba. You can't make this stuff up. This is, this is in the Bible. Verse four, then David sent messengers to get her and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Now, I wanna just look at this from a different angle because traditionally, what we've heard preached, and this might be very true, we kind of say like David fell into sin, right? He fell into sin. Almost like it was, he didn't see it coming. It was, it was a mistake, it was an accident. I think we've all said that about ourselves when we make mistakes, I fell into sin, but... I wanna show you something. You know, the more I researched this, something that I discovered years ago that really helped me see this from a different angle. In, in Jerusalem in those days, women loved baths just as much as they do today. And they didn't have heated water. And so at the beginning of the day, when they were getting their work done, when they were watching the kids, they would draw a bath, they'd put it in a tub on, on the roof and it would bake in the hot sun all day. And then when the kids were in bed all over the city, it was a well-known fact that they would climb up to the rooftop and they would take a bath in the hot tub. And so that really didn't affect most people because they were all on similar footing, on similar ground, similar elevation. But David, his palace overlooked the entire kingdom. And so could it be that David didn't just fall into sin, but David had to climb to the rooftop in order to fall? Can I just tell you something? Sin never happens in a moment. Sin happens one step at a time. Sin happens one decision, one blown boundary at a time. And I think what God's trying to say to every man that wants to live a life fully alive is stay off of the rooftop. Don't even go there because it's impossible to fall if you never climb to the rooftop. Let's talk about what the rooftop could look like in our lives. Maybe the rooftop is your laptop. It's your phone without a filter, without accountability. Maybe the rooftop is that lunch that you knew you shouldn't have taken with that, that woman that wasn't your wife and you're starting to exchange messages on social media and you know that it's an unhealthy relationship. It's the rooftop. Stay off the rooftop. Can I tell you why? Because it leads to devastation. That wasn't even the end of David's sin because when he committed adultery with her, he got her pregnant and then to cover up the scandal, he actually murdered her innocent husband. And then the baby, the love child, dies in the process as a punishment. And when you look at the life of David, this is what I want dads to get. 
Some of you have seen this happen in your own life through your father or lack thereof. Our sin never just affects us. I've seen this so many times in my own life, even with small things. When I think my kids don't see me, when I think they're not looking and I make a mistake and then I see them modeling that behavior, they're always looking. Our sin never just affects us. And when you look at David's sons, none of them did well. Their family was a mess. One of his sons raped one of his daughters and that son was murdered as an act of vengeance by another brother. And then that brother turned around and tried to take the kingdom from his father, from David, tried to kill him. It was tragedy. And as I was preparing this message, here's what I, I felt God say this so clearly. I hope you get this. Dads, men, if it's not defeated in your life, it will be repeated in theirs. And you know what's sad? It might even be exceeded. Can I give you a good example? David had a problem with one woman. Solomon had a problem with a thousand. David had seven wives. Solomon had 700. If it's not defeated in your lifetime, it'll be repeated in theirs. So I don't say that to discourage you. I don't say that to make you feel bad about your past. Here's, what I, here's why I say it. I say it because you could today decide it ends with me. I'm gonna put an end to what my daddy handed me. Because you're not just fighting for you. You're not just fighting for your holiness and your purity and your character and your commitment. You're fighting for your kids and your kids' kids. God wants to use you to change your family. Your family tree doesn't have to look the same. Because guess what? When you became a part of the family of Christ, you were grafted into a new family tree. It's called the cross. And you're in Christ and you're a new creation. I think all over the place at every location, we ought to just give it up for a God who gives us new starts and gives us a new chance. And all we have to do is take a step. I want, I want to show you really where this ends because this is the grace of God. You know, one of the most devastating moments of David's life was definitely this one. But out of this was birthed one of the most beautiful psalms ever written. It was Psalm 51. And I can't read you all of it, but I thought I'd read you just a few lines. It's not just a song, it's a prayer. And I've prayed this prayer many times in my life. And this could be a prayer that you pray. Dads, men, women. Listen to this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. In other words, restore to me the conviction that I once had. Then he says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In other words, restore commitment in my life. And listen to how it ends. I love this. He turns the focus off of himself and he starts to see how much his life impacts other people. He starts to see how much his connections matter. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes at each campus. You know, dads, it can definitely end with you, but here's the more encouraging news. It can start with you too. It can start with you right now in this moment. Now is never too late as long as God is in the equation. But you have to fully surrender. If you wanna be a man fully alive, you've gotta fully surrender to living a life convicted by the Holy Spirit, to living a life committed to having character in the cave when nobody's looking into living a life of connection with the people that God placed in your life. Think of all the pain David could have spared himself if he would have just had some friends who checked in on him. 
That's why for some of you, getting into a connect group is the best thing you'll ever do. Doing life with other people in circles and not just in rows, that'll change your life. For some of you, it's just taking the first step. And I wanna just do a ministry moment if it's okay with you. I know so many people today that are hurting because this is the first Father's Day that they are without their earthly dad. And I just wanna take a moment and pray with you. And if you're near somebody and you know their story and you know that's what they're going through, I can't even imagine what they're feeling right now, but I think it's so powerful when we can just have some empathy in God's church and just recognize and mourn with those who mourn and give them some strength and encouragement. Can you pray with me real quick? If you're near someone and you know that's their story, just maybe in a, in a great way, just put your hand on their shoulder. Let's pray with them. Lord, I thank you for every person that's going through that moment of pain. Maybe it's this year, maybe it's recently, but they're, they're doing life without their earthly dad. Maybe they had pain and wounds inflicted on them by dad and now they can't have closure and they don't know what to do. I just thank you that right now in this moment, you would be a father to the fatherless. I thank you that you would wrap your, loves, your loving arms around them. Holy Spirit, be a comforter. And I thank you that you're even gonna lead other father figures into their life that are gonna fill that role in the way only they can. We'll never replace dad, but Lord, I just thank you that you're gonna be the dad that he can no longer be to them. I thank you for peace, perfect peace to saturate them. I'm gonna give one more challenge. If you are a man and you say, I never had any kids, and I don't know if I could really make a difference, but I would sure love to try. I think this could be the weekend that you never forget because God could, could allow you to make a change in the life of a young person, in the life of a family like a single mom. You probably know one already. And they might not ask you for it, but you can offer it in any way that God leads you. You can make just as much of a difference. I don't know what your story is, but I'm just gonna ask you to prayerfully take a step at every location, every campus. TCI, it could start with you. You could break some cycles in your life. You could. Just takes a step, just a decision. I'm gonna lead you in one final prayer. If you, if you honestly could say, Joe, I don't remember a moment in my life where I fully gave my life to Jesus. Maybe I grew up going to church, I was baptized, confirmed, whatever it is, but I don't remember a moment when I personally decided to follow Jesus. I'm not asking you to change churches or religions or any of that stuff. What I'm asking you is what have you done with Jesus? He said he's the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. And the good news is that he came down to the earth as a perfect person, lived the life we couldn't and took our place on a cross, our punishment for our sin. And now he makes a way so easily for us to accept that free gift of salvation. So if that's you and you're like, Joe, I can't remember the last time that I committed to follow Jesus or I need to recommit today at every campus, can you repeat this after me? And everyone who's prayed it before, pray it along with me. Can you say, dear God, thank you for Jesus, for the sacrifice that he made for me in my place. God, thank you as a father that you sent your only son because you weren't willing for one person to spend eternity away from you. I won't be perfect, but today I make a decision to follow you. I'm a Christian, in Jesus' name, amen.
Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.